Hey, what's up, y'all? Greg Armstrong from the Gospel and Race podcast. And I'm taking a quick break from podcasting to talk to you about the Imago Leaders Network. Listen, family, I've been looking for a long time for a tribe, a crew, a people that understand the complexities of multi-ethnic church planting, leadership, and justice-related items. And we have it ready for you. We have developed um, a family of leaders who will lean on each other as we discover and develop uh, tools to lean into multi-ethnic leadership. I want you to join me at our first interest meeting in September. The information is on the screen, but you also can visit imagoleaders.com for all the information needed. If you are a leader and you need a people, a crew, a family to discern the complexities of multi-ethnic leadership, the Imago Leaders Network is for you. Let's go spread the word and I'll see you in September. Gospel and race. I don't even know what episode this is, to be honest with you. But I think we're declaring this. I don't know, Garrett. Are we declaring this season two? Did I just make that up? <laughs> season two. But but we took a little time off. Last episode was off the charts. But we're back. Dr. David Fitch is in the house. Y'all give it up. We don't have any clap applause. <laughs> but you deserve that, sir. Um, Dave Fitch, my bad, in the house, uh, contextual the theology, theologian, professor, pastor, speaker, preacher. You've been told you preach like a black man. That's been said. Can and I tell that story? You tell that Can story I tell real that quick. Story? By yeah. the way, is this a season two, episode one? Nah, it's like episode two. Oh, bummer. I, I, I mean, no offense to one. you. It's <laughs> <laughs> No, no problem. Right on. No problem. Yeah. Uh, my uh, friend, Charles Galbraith, a uh, black preacher in New Brooklyn, York. New York, yeah. I, I was I was speaking somewhere in New York and he comes up to me and he says, uh, Dave, you preach like a black preacher. <laughs> I come back to Northern Seminary where there's where Greg Armstrong is. And I said, uh, Greg, I just want you to know, because I'm coming, I'm being part of this renewed church thing. Uh, Charles Gober says I preach, preach like a black preacher. Now, you've already heard me preach a couple times, and you just said, no, Dave. You don't preach like a black preacher. And then Marshall Hatch, Brother Marshall Hatch, another black pastor down the road here, West says, side. he says, Dave, all us black preachers tell you white guys, you preach like <laughs> black preachers, make you feel better, make you feel good. Okay, so all that's good. All that's yeah. real, real good because yeah. uh, basically uh, you're saying to Fitch, Fitch, you just be you. You just you be come you. into our church. Don't try to be this. Don't try to be that. You yeah. just be you. And our people shout you down, man. Like you're always preaching up here, man. No, it's, I'm it's, not. Yeah, you are. I'm De just up there shocked. Renew Church shouts Fitch down. If you're watching this, you know it's true. <laughs> Drop a comment, and we love. But yeah, be you. And sometimes you get a little sauce in there. A little sauce, uh, you know, a little, a little sauce. Black come, preacher sauce. A little sauce. A little really? sauce. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but a little bit. <laughs> I'll take a little bit, folks. If you're listening, I'm I'm uh, overjoyed uh, with a little bit. Amen. Well, yes. we're glad to have you on the pod. Listen, um, Fitch is a mentor. Mm. Fitch is a leader. As a matter of fact, you know, I, I always give you this credit. You never want to take this credit, 
which is mm-hmm. cool. It's cool. Mm-hmm. It's all good. Mm-hmm. But I came to North. I came to seminary. My pastor Joe Mitchell told me you got to go to seminary. I went to seminary, and I was actually going to be a part of the worship program in seminary. You know, and I would get some theology in there. I could kind of lean into the music piece. <clears throat> And then I saw this video between you and Holsklaw, Jeff Holsklaw. Shout out to Jeff Holsklaw in Michigan. <laughs> um, and y'all did a video and you start saying words like this. You start saying, hey, if you want to be a part of like planting missional, incarnational. Contextual. Should, contextual. And I'm like, what is, what is that? What is all that? And I didn't know what any of that meant, to be honest with you. But I knew we were going to plant a church. And I, I was thinking... And I, I want to do I want to do that. I want I want to be a part of that, whatever that looks like. And I knew that with an emphasis on multi-ethnic, we would need to know some language outside of my traditional black church heritage. And that's how I got locked into, you know, theology and mission at Northern Seminary mm. and began uh, taking classes with you. And, um, you know, truth be told, you know, this is the, as this, I don't know if this story is public. So I went to Fitch. Oh, I went no. to Fitch, who's a part of our church right now, by the way, you know, one of the pastors at our church. I went to Fitch and I'm saying, hey, man, we want to plant a multi-ethnic church. Like, I think God's calling me, yada, yada, yada. Fitch is like, yeah, it's great, man. Here's what Fitch said, Gary. He's like, I don't really have time. To, you know, I'm real busy. So, <laughs> so go talk to this guy. <laughs> Classic story. He's like, yeah, go talk to this guy, but I'll circle around with you, you know, when I can. I said, okay, it's all good. I understood that, though. I wasn't offended. I'm like, that's a professor. He's a pastor. He's got a lot going on. And then, you know, long story short, we circle around. We're serving together now Yes. in ministry in Westmont, in the west suburbs of Chicago. Yes, Let's yes. Let's go, Dave Fitch. Yes, it's a long story uh, how uh, the church I was part of, Peace of Christ, uh, went through a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, had to reevaluate a bunch of stuff. One thing led to another, and uh, we invited you all to come into this building that we were using. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing led to another. It's a rather long story, a complicated story, with many different versions sure. of, of this story, but uh, uh, Peace of Christ uh, folded in, in a certain way. There's some of us here now mm-hmm. at Renewed Church, but I, I think I'm going to sit in the back row in my old age, chill out. Just relax, folks, mm-hmm. in the back row. Take in some good music, by the way, the music. Whoa. It's good. <laughs> Shout good. out, Renew Worship. Shout out, Renew <laughs> Worship. And, and uh, before you know it, I get, I get uh, what do you call it? Uh, I don't want to say roped in. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got, you got roped in. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting up Sunday morning. I, what I normally do, folks, is after I pray uh, a little bit, I, I get my coffee and start reading and thinking and praying and reading and starting a lot reading. And uh, uh, I sneak in the back row of the church kind of late. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Fitch is one of those. Next thing you know, man. <laughs> Fitch, get up here. We need somebody to pray. Next thing you know. Uh, we got some praying for people to get healed. Somebody's speaking in tongues. I'm going, whoa. <laughs> All right now. Let's go. Speaking in tongues. Amen. <laughs> and uh, uh, that's, folks, the story of how I got roped into Renew yeah. Church, and we're loving it. We have not felt, I mean, we've just felt so loved, mm, so yeah. appreciated. I mean, it's been such a ministry to my soul. You have been such a ministry to my family. Oh, man. It's been so fantastic. Uh, and you know, if it keeps going this well, uh, uh, I'll be, I'll be ready f- for that day 
when when the end comes. Mm, come on. Uh, having completed the journey. Some eschatology. <laughs> okay, that's what I'm talking about. So anyway, yeah. So uh, we it's it's like inadvertently like the Lord knows what he's doing, right? And so the Lord um he you kept mentioning Westmont to us and really in terms of what's here, right? And we're talking about like ecclesiology and the church and presence. And one of the things that you've helped me tremendously and my wife gets on Crystal's nerves is con <laughs> contextualization. We can't go anywhere without me assessing. So if we go to a certain town or a city, I'm like, oh, you see that right there? See, this is what's going on. And the, this is telling you something about the economics and yada, yada, yada. And that came from ethnography and, and, yeah. and contextual um, theology yeah. from, from your work. Um, but now we're in this like multi-ethnic church planning world. And I, I knew it was a calling for me, but I'm curious. You just kind of got dumped in it. And one, I, I don't know why you accepted the call. I guess I know, but I'm curious as to your thoughts on why you accepted the call um, after having been a church planner, a pastor for all these years. And then two, from your purview as David Fitch, but also a white man, how do you view multi-ethnic and its hope for the future? That was a lot of, lot of questions in there. Well, you know, uh, uh, folks, I got the, I don't want to be, uh, too, uh, self-promotional. That's, I'm, I'm a pastor in the Christian Missionary Alliance and we were taught never promote yourself. Do not promote yourself. <laughs> Shout out it's to the about Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you're right on. All right. But I have a book coming out in January on power That's called right. Reckoning with Power, How the Church Fails When It's on the Wrong Side of Power. Yeah. And, uh, uh, multi-ethnic church is a manifestation uh, of, of godly power in a people over against the segregation, the homogeneous groups where you're very comfortable. And, and because it's, we have this word in ideology called hegemony. Mm -hmm. it, if you play into the hegemonies, the dominant ideologies, the way people think about being, and you're most comfortable if you're a white person with a white person, if you're a black person with a black person, and you can just play on that in the existing power structures, and it works. Hmm. It lines people up into rows before the, po the existing power. No one questions anything because why we're all comfortable in what right. we're in. And so po worldly power works that way best. Uh, w with around the current, the, the stat, like, like white supremacy. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to question white supremacy if it's everybody who white in the same room playing on white supremacy, not seeing the white supremacy. Right. And, and nobody understands how the various cultures of affluence and class and uh, the things we like to do and don't like to do and our preferences and the way the sermon topics come down mm. and what they speak to all play within a certain uh, frame. I didn't say ideological frame, but a lot of times it's ideological frame. Yeah. It's a way of thinking and living, never challenging the, the status quo. And so that's white church. Now you start bringing in, uh, you, start, start, you, you start a church with more than than white people you know a lot of times you probably know this better than me mm -hmm. i won't say probably you know this better than me black persons coming into a, a dominant white culture have to live up to a certain way of thinking about money yes a certain way of thinking about uh what's acceptable what's not mm -hmm. uh even the way you think about yourself mm -hmm. 
uh, the way you think about success, the way you think about raising children, mm -hmm. the way you think about education, everything mm -hmm. has a frame built around whiteness. So you kind of have to fit in right. if that church is going to work. A multi-ethnic church undoes all that, disrupts all that. And it says, okay, we're going to be in mutual relationships. Hmm. We can go on and on about this, yeah. but there's a lot of ways multi-ethnic church is a veneer. Hmm. What did uh, Sarah Coakley say when we were there last uh, June? She said a lot, man. What oh, did she God. say? A veneer of multiculturalism mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. it's actually it's the like a veil and like a, like a cloak. Yeah, and like the dom it's dominant culture church with, <clears throat> say, a black person, a white person, and a Latino male as, a, as the pastor group. Yeah. But it's white church because it's all the power and all the decisions are being made from top down. Yeah, yeah. Now, my hope for multi-ethnic church is all the decisions happen from the bottom hmm. up, where we got persons of, of where we got white persons, black persons, uh, Asian persons, Latino, Latina persons sitting around a table, you mm -hmm. know, talking about what are the issues we're facing, mm -hmm. what does the gospel has to say for this, and all of a sudden, it's no longer about how are we going to appeal to those white people so they don't go to another church and give their tithes and offerings at that other church. We That's need a word them. right there. It becomes about who are we and what is God calling us to do and how he's trying to shape us. So multi-ethnic church is a challenge mm -hmm. to worldly power. It is. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's a T-shirt. Multi-ethnic church is a challenge to worldly power because there is this magnetized almost... Um, you almost feel it, there's always this bent towards a, a whiteness framework because of the power dynamics that are, that are there. And it's and the appeasement factor is there's always this. OK, let's you know, we don't want to you know, we're going to oh, we're going to make make white people mad. I've thought about that. I've thought about that recently, as a matter of fact. And it's a true test of what direction a multi-ethnic church is going to go in. And I know it sounds trivial and it even sounds offensive to some. But it is, will we appease the dominant white perspective, right? Like, will we, will we appease them or not? Because oftentimes that's what we feel is going to sustain the uh, church. For the money. For the money. And that's power. We need, we need money. <laughs> right. Money is power. But that's, that works on systems, though, too, like church planning totally. systems, right? Corporate church planning systems. Whether I'm a minority church planner, I, I need to not be myself in many respects so that I can get funding you know and so it's multi-layered and it and it's it's a fact but so I want to talk more about power because because this book that you're coming out with I, I know you don't like promoting yourself I'll promote it for you I don't have a problem because this book's gonna be off the chain coming out in January but worldly power versus godly power and I think you would say and I, I want you to expound on this how we have witnessed multi-ethnic church this is this is my viewpoint over the last 20, 30 years, I think there have been very, very sincere attempts at multi-ethnic church. I believe that the core of that ecclesiology came from a place of conviction, that the gospel should be multifaceted. But I think worldly power, in a way, came in and just ravaged that whole mission. On the last podcast with Dennis Edwards, I talked a lot about restoring multi-ethnic because I believe worldly power came in, appropriated itself with multi-ethnic, 
And like you said, once white dominance comes in, it just tears up everything. And so can you talk a little bit more about like worldly power versus godly power, how we position ourselves as a multi-ethnic church so that we don't run into that? Again? Yeah. Uh, you know, this is a thick, thick, thick topic. Uh, so I'm going to oversimplify sure. it. Uh, but uh, in like, you know, three sentences or less, worldly power is power over. It's getting, uh, it's using your influence uh, or your uh, um, levers of ability to control things like someone's pay mm. uh, to get them to do what you want. Person A can get person B to do what person A wants. Person A's got the power. It's power over. It's coercive. Now, back uh, in feudalism days, you know, if you didn't pay your taxes, the Lord would show up at the surf store with a sword and say, pay your taxes or I'm going to cut your head off. That's that's the ultimate power <laughs> over. Right. OK. But today, power over manifests itself in all these different manipulative ways. And one of the most subtle ways is ideological ways, justifying exploitation based mm. on ideology. Racism is an ideological manifestation of power over. It says, I'm going to use economics and other things, uh, and I have power to get you to do what I want you to do. But the reason why you don't get paid as much or you're living in that area and I'm living in this area is because you're lazy or you didn't you didn't work hard enough in school or or you're you're mm. just plain different and not as smart as, as, as you're not white enough. Whatever the case might be, it's mm -hmm. an ideological justification for exploitation power over takes um, uh, all kinds of different forms not just somebody showing up at your front door with a gun and telling you to do what I want you mm -hmm, to do mm -hmm. um, but godly power is never coercive mm -hmm. it's always power with it's like presence it's relational by the power of the Holy Spirit ne God's never coercive but he will convict, he will heal, he will restore. This is godly power. Now, let me just say, what the history of Protestantism did was they said, well, well, spiritual power, the power of the Holy Spirit only has a, what, anything to do with in your soul. It's mm. all about your person. When it comes to government and the, solving the problems of the world, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It's, it's, it's not practical. We're mm. not, and so we can't open space in the world for God to transform social systems, social spaces of racism, brokenness, pain, gender, patriarchy, all the things. And so this is what I'm trying to bust up from people thinking, no, God wants to use the church to be a manifestation of his presence and his power, not coercive power, to bring people to himself and change social systems. And by the way, in the epilogue, I got a whole bunch of examples of where it's happened in the history of the church. But nobody wants to talk about it because it happened rather slowly, happened over time, and, 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 and 10,000 people didn't show up for church by year three. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. so, so, but the fact is, that's the way God has always changed the world. Everything else is just building on existing power systems to, get, to make some minor changes. So the last thing I'll say, and I just want, I just want to make sure you got the dif difference. Yeah, between yeah, I'm tracking. Godly power and worldly power. But 
uh, there will be times when Christians have to use worldly power. Because why you got to have people who are willing and open to the space of the Holy Spirit to work. And, 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 you know, it's like when Jesus walked away in Matthew and said, I couldn't do miracles in that place because people didn't have faith. Remember that mm-hmm. in Matthew? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember the text? Not exactly. 16. So, uh, uh, likewise, so we will have to use worldly power, but all it ever accomplishes is preserving people from getting shot, killed, laws, civil rights. But does it transform these these social realities you know uh was it john perkins that said racism is satanic it's of satan Mm -hmm. we therefore we require the supernatural Mm -hmm. to to uproot and transform racism in our cultures yeah Uh, that's a word that's a word that says we've got to be people of godly power present in our cultures for the gospel in all these social injustices mm-hmm. of our time what do you, that's good what do you think about like in in the church in the multi-ethnic church what are your thoughts on so you know i i hear a lot of critique around white people not using their worldly power their privilege for the sake of marginalized etc is that even a reality or are we stepping back into worldly power, right? So, so you mentioned there are times we have to use worldly power. Yeah. But in, 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 in a multi-ethnic community, should we rely on a white person's privilege and worldly power to help advance the nature of the community? Does that make sense? Yes. I'm so glad you asked this question. <laughs> because, because, hold on. What you got? Some, you got some documents down there? I, I want to make a quote. <laughs> but I gotta read the quote. By the way, shout out to Fitch in the McDonald's cup. It's his. It's his brand. It's. Uh, it's his. Uh, folks, we're we're taping this on a Sunday afternoon, and Fitch has to have his nap on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon, and to wake up from the nap, I have to have a coffee. I love uh, it. Okay, so so uh, privilege. So there, there are things. Uh, Dominic Gilliard wrote the book Subversive Witness. Is that, was that mm-hmm. what it was called? Subver- uh, using your privilege. So there are things that we can do with our privilege. Okay. Yeah. But it, I believe it's minimal. There are things we can make space for other people, other voices. Fitch can use his privilege to platform somebody else. Yeah. Fitch can use his money. I don't have that by much, by the way. But I, if but Give me I alone, can. Fitch. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can use uh, my influence. Yeah. Okay, but but let's look at what privilege is, okay? Uh, there's this anti-racism scholar. She was also a feminist in the 80s. Her name is Peggy McIntosh. She was the one who wrote, I think, in 84, 85, this, these volumes on privilege. She was the one who set the stage to even talk about privilege. Mm-hmm. And so she describes privilege. It carries the connotation of being something everyone must want. Hmm. Privilege. But then she describes it as how it confers dominance, gives permission to control because of one's race or sex. Privilege gives license to some people to be at best thoughtless and at worst murderous. It mm. Privilege distorts the way people who are privileged see people. This is her writings from the 80s. And she says, unless it is rejected, it will always reinforce our present hierarchies, the systems that oppress and destroy people's lives. And Mm. so I say, yeah, go ahead and use your privilege. 
But do you realize, and, and by the way, Dominic Gilliard realizes <clears throat> there's privilege is caught up in sin. <laughs> so do you really want white guy Fitch to be the one? Right. Delegating his white privilege on people who are not white? Especially if it's polluting my view of things. Do you want me to be the one in charge? No, you don't. And do you want to perpetuate this privilege? This privilege that is doing so much harm in people's lives in the way it segregates people, uses people, mm. disregards people, uh, pollutes the way people see each other. So anyways, all I'm saying is, yeah, go ahead and use your privilege, but don't get, get caught up in it. There is, is there a possibility of a world where there is no more such thing as privilege? I believe Jesus' power disrupts privilege, mm. pushes it to the side, says no more privilege. Mm. We're going to be here as people persons in the image of God relating in the kingdom of God remember what he said around the table when, yeah he said not so among you uh, the way the Gentiles lorded over you and then he just says we're gonna there's a kingdom here and we're gonna relate to each other as persons in the kingdom under the lordship of Christ so I'm I'm really wary about the privilege thing go but ahead I, and use it but I think I think and I want to hear your thoughts on this I think there are white persons in, in the church that sort of use privilege as an on-ramp to justice. Justice in their eyes. Yes. Right? Yes. And it's and it's it's the faithfulness to justice, but oftentimes doesn't quite enter into the real space of the work, like the real like Christocentric work of justice and reconciliation. But it's sort of a, a feel-good justice. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I just think that, uh, okay, again, people can use their privilege. Uh, some people would say, Fitch, you don't, you don't, you have to be aware of your privilege, of course. Right, right. Uh, and I do agree. Uh, we need to be aware <laughs> of it in order to give it up. Uh, and there will be times when we enter in the world where we're playing in worlds of privilege. And we have to make... We have to take care of one another in that really difficult, uh, often unjust world. But I, uh, maybe I'm just over um, uh, optimistic. But remember when Jesus, okay, Zacchaeus is, uh, is a lot of privilege advocates use the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Mm -hmm. uh, and Zacchaeus gave up his wealth. But, but Jesus didn't go in there and use his privilege to... Uh, tell Zacchaeus what to do. He actually became a guest, it says, in his home around a table, and he disrupted it. Mm -hmm. He disrupted it. He didn't use his privilege, and then Zacchaeus didn't even play on what he was supposed to do to repay his the money he stole. He did it four times over. I think the rule, <laughs> the Gentile rule within the privilege, you, you steal, you have to give it, you have to give it back plus 10%. He did four times. So it, it, it just disrupted the world of privilege. Mm -hmm. And he did it by not using his privilege, but by and by giving it up and going and being a guest. You know, they were appalled that Jesus did that. He's going to be a guest in the house of Levi or the house of, of Zacchaeus? How disgusting. He actually gave up any kind of privilege he had as a holy man or a teacher in the eyes of all the rest and went and sat with them. I just think that's so 
powerful and disruptive mm. to the world of privilege that we're living in. I think that's what multi-ethnic church can do. It can disrupt the powers and the principalities, the various layers of privilege and worldly power that are polluting our worlds mm. and invite the world into a different way. Yeah, and so, yeah, that's great. I, I So I, we kicked off this podcast with sort of this baseline thought, um, gospel and race, multi-ethnic, uh, disrupting systems of racism in the church, but by way of the spirit and discerning. And I think a lot of people disregard that way of engaging because we've seen so much dominant force in the social yeah. construct of race and injustice. Mm-hmm. And by the way, shout out to all scholars and activists and those who have really been doing the work on the ground, boots on the ground. Yep. I think the church is just, I think the church has been very cowardice in, in, in running away from being the forefront of this conversation, respectfully. But it's not that we need to take on the social voice of the, the world. It's that we need to actually institute a new imagination for this disruption by way of the spirit. So I want to talk about this because this is what I feel like a lot of people leave out. The activity of the presence of God at the table in discerning race. I'm not talking about um, a panel. I'm not talking about, you know, another march. I'm talking about the true work of discerning and the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit have to do with how we lean in, discern, multi-ethnic, but then how it shifts us into engaging race and injustice? Is that a question? Yeah. That was a long one. That was a long question. You know, it took me a little while to get there. Um, Let me shorten it like a sentence. Uh, summarize it in like <laughs> one sentence. Fitch, give me two or three sentences. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what does it look like at the table, present with the spirit yeah. and discerning in terms of multi-ethnic and engaging racial injustice? Yeah, yeah. Like um, like what happens there? I, I don't know. I, I, it seems like anytime I go to any kind of a place uh, where we're engaging issues of injustice, like, like I believe embodied demonstration, mm-hmm. presence, is a work of the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, so, uh, and I believe Martin Luther King basically said that in the letter uh, from the Birmingham jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we needed to be here. We needed to be present. Constructive tension. That's he uses the word constructive tension. Yeah. Uh, you, you go and you be present, and and just by your very presence, you're bearing witness to a reality, a a racialized, ideological thing going on in this town, and it's constructive tension. Yeah. All right, but I believe if if MLK had been a Pentecostal, he would have (laughs) said that's the Holy Spirit working. Yeah, yeah. That's the Holy Spirit working, he's disrupting. Like one of, you know, I, I at the front of this church after the George, George Floyd murder, we had a what you might call an embodied demonstration. I believe the two women that were leading it from our church were called it a prayer walk. Yeah. All right. But the fact is, we're all standing up there. And my bro, Mike Abron, if you're listening, uh, uh, I love you, bro, for doing this. He got up there and he prayed and he talked about what we're doing and why. And there's police over here and there's other people over here. And then there's I told you this story. There's a little guy oh, about six raises his hand. He starts crying. Are the police going to hurt me? Are the police mm. going to hurt me? And, and Was this and, a black dude? Uh, no, it was it was a white. Mm hmm. 
it was a it was a Hispanic dude, mm-hmm. and uh, um, the uh, police come over. One on on bended knee says, "No, we're not going to hurt you. We're here to help. We're here to be with you." And I said, "Oh my goodness, okay. If I were Pentecostal, and I am, that's the Holy Spirit working. Mm-hmm. Now, can we go there? And can we foster? Hey." Can we have a meeting? Can we talk over a cup of coffee at uh, Westmont Restaurant across the street? Can we? And and what will God do? And I believe not only will God interrelationally work between the police and the various people in that group who even saw that and were witnessing it, but then we have further talks. We have further. We talk about the injustices. We talk about what happened on that street when three uh, police cars stopped the black man walking down that street for no reason at all. We talk yeah. about these yeah. things, and all of a sudden, new understandings break out, new relationships, and people will get saved. They will see things they haven't seen before, and they go, "Whoa! I didn't even know this was possible." Yeah. This must be Jesus. And, you know, that's how that's how the, the neighbors are going to get saved. They're not going to they're probably I'm not going to say they're not going to. But nine times out of ten, they're not going to come to your service on a Sunday morning and respond to an altar call. Although don't don't uh, you don't know, give un- up on the altar. Don't calls. underestimate Jesus. <laughs> but by the way, I love the altar calls. Uh, I need to get saved almost every Sunday. <laughs> but but I think that this is the way. God's going to call people to himself. So in other words, you're saying we need revival. This is how I would say it as a faithful Pentecost. We need revival in our city for the spirit to come and do a work. But, you know, um, I mean, I, when I think about that, I, I don't want to make it trivial, but I think about Azusa Street, right? Like there, there, was, a, there was a powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. Yes. William Seymour, yeah. these multi-ethnic, multi-racial gathering, the spirit's yeah. work. And then racism came in. And broke it all up. Uh, uh, you, you can call it racism. I'll call it worldly power. Okay. Worldly okay. power. Tell me about that. Uh, uh, because, uh, and, and, and so I don't want to pr- promote my book again, but in. Fitch, in, you can promote in, the book, in, 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 CMA. Reckoning with Power, coming out uh, January 2024. <laughs> but uh, in the last, in the epilogue, I tell the stories about how so much holiness Pentecostal movements started out being with the poor, the hurting, the broken, yeah. those who had been enslaved and are still enslaved in a culture of Jim Crow, etc. And and they started abolitionist movements. They weren't perfect. There were a lot of racists in the Methodist Church and the Free Methodists. But but they started the ab. They said this is wrong. They started learning, and then when people got saved, this is what Don Dayton said. He called it the embourgeoisment of the holiness churches. Hmm. They got money. They became successful. They quit drinking. They quit drinking the booze. Okay. They stayed home at night with their wives. They raised children. They went to work on time. They got money and, and they lifted up in class. All of a sudden, now they got stuff to protect. They got their houses, their money, their bank accounts, and, and their privileges to protect. And all that went out the window. Hmm. And uh, this is what happens. This is what happens. We've got to work against it. And, and it shuts down. And by the way, everything we do in our churches that's, that's manufactured 
on human effort is a denial of worldly power. We got to keep making space for God's power, his Holy Spirit to work among us. So all I'm saying is, yeah, all that happened. It started out good. When we were depending on the Holy Spirit, when we were listening and discerning what God was doing, when we had our ears, uh, you know, perked up and, and our eyes tuned in to pay attention, God was working and we were, but then, oh, I got my money. I got mm -hmm. my savings account. Mm-hmm to worry mm -hmm. about. I got my investments. I got to go to my job. I've got a big mortgage now, not a little one. So you're I, saying it was worldly power economics that really stripped us away from this holiness Pentecostal movement of multiracial, multi-ethnic gathering. Yeah, it's 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 his thesis and he proves it over yeah. and over again. And, 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 and I also want to just give a shout out to Jonathan Tran and, yeah. and his work. Uh, I can never uh, correctly quote the title of his book, uh, uh, Asian racism and uh, uh, we'll put it up. But uh, I, I don't yeah. know. Uh, it's a great book, but yeah. the title's not. A, it, it, John, you needed a, a zinger of a title, <laughs> but uh, but all that to say, he shows how yeah. economics and racism are tied, you know, just intricately together, inseparably together, and they can't be broken unless you get at the economics of what's going on in our culture. Capital, racialized capitalism is, I think, in the title of this Racialized capitalism, you're right, yeah. you're right. Economics, race. I want to appropriate this to church planting because you're a church planter. You've planted churches. As a matter of fact, I came into your program as a church planter, um, having seen the work that you've written about and that you do. You all, I think most folks on gospel and race, they kind of know my qualms with the church planting movement, the networks, et cetera, which have become really just a robust, robust economic system, in my opinion. I'm not questioning the validity of evangel uh, evangelistic efforts, church planning, the gospel, ecclesiology. However, as a, as a black church planner, the further I got into these worlds, into these networks, the more they became just systems of economic structure. And there was class, there's racism, all built into these structures. Is that a form of worldly power appropriated onto apostolic church planning movements? Uh, I'll say it could be. It could be. Uh, here, here's, here's what I don't want to do. I, I don't want to condemn or write off all efforts to uh, create organizational structure. And that's what I'm saying. I, I don't want to. Yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. Because we do need organizational structure. Uh, you know, if we lived in Canada, we wouldn't have to worry about health insurance. But we live in the United States where you don't have. Uh, you you got to worry about it. I mean, seriously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, because if you get left without health insurance, you have a health problem in the United States. Well, and all that to say, you have to take care of, you have to find ways to provide certain securities. I used to say, plant a church <clears throat> and the first three years provide a, a limited stipend, housing stipend, and health insurance. But help, but give the, give the church planter, he or she, room to get a job, okay? Because if, if this is going to be a long-term, you got to be bivocational. you got to have a job that you're going to be good at, that you're always going to, even if you don't need it, you can always rely back on it to make money. But you got to have a ramp to get there, especially if you're moving to a new town or new place to be, you know, to be a pioneer church planter. Uh, but what we've done is we, if we create that into a monster where I need five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand to plant a church, right. I got to have 52 different bells and whistles. I got to have a launch. I've got to make this look good. Uh, okay. Now we're, now I'm worried. Is that worldly power? Because I want us 
to make space for mm. the Holy Spirit to work in the neighborhoods. I want us to make space. We got to gather people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. in the missional church movement, where I played on played that that's the field I've been been working in. Uh, we don't we don't we aren't very good gatherers of people mm-hmm. on the attractional playgrounds of of church playing. Good at gathering people. Now the question is, how do we get them in? Mm-hmm. to the neighborhood mm-hmm. uh, with, with us how do we gather people to get people in the neighborhood <laughs> church. okay but but what i'm worried about is one side tends to uh, amp up the worldly power and the money yeah. and everything and and the egos and everything that goes into it man and before you know it we have left jesus as the little sprinkle on top of the program that we've created yeah. uh, for our own sense of mm-hmm. accomplishment. And uh, so I, I think we got to be careful about that. I don't want to dis- dismiss organizational structures to help people church sure. play. But if, we, if it does become all about money and uh, manufacturing of church plants, I'm not. I, I am, I'm suspicious of that. And this is the work that I think we're doing right now. And this is, this is what you've brought to our church um, into my leadership, as I look at our church as a multi-ethnic church, um, we've, we st- I don't know if you remember this, we used to argue about this in class. You know, Fitch used to call me mega church guy. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he used to call me in class, the mega church guy. But, but, but what, what I've come to understand is I, I was caught up in that system. It wasn't even black church. That was like modern evangelical mega church structure. And I, I've experienced all of it. But that for me, and I think I've talked about this on previous podcasts, but that was the epitome of like success for a young black person who could actually live in those worlds. And, and, and it became the hot button on ramp for how churches viewed multi-ethnic, which became sort of a, a travesty at some point. Um, so now as I've kind of reimagined the church, I think your scholarship uh, your leadership has brought to our church this idea of being among this presence-based proximity, closeness. And I think that's powerful for the church period, but I think it's even more powerful for the multi-ethnic church because it forces us into tables that are not homogenous, but it forces us into tables that have to deal with the complexities of race and injustice. And I think right now we're just kind of figuring this thing out. You know what I mean? At our church. Oh yeah. We're just, we're, God's doing something. The spirit's doing something. Our church is diversifying. It has black leadership. Um, you know, it's just all kind of crazy stuff going on. But I think we're trying to sort out how do we live among when half of our church comes from an attractional, you know, attractional, a very, uh, gift-centered, you know, and, and here's what we used to argue about in class. When, when you'd be throwing the, when you would throw the missional, incarnational church thing, I'm thinking black people aren't going to sit around a campfire and <laughs> sing with a guitar. No, man, you better put an organ up there, some drum. It's going to be loud, right? And we're going to have church. I think that's been mistaken for attractional. And I have some thoughts on that. We'll talk about that at our our. I think we'll be doing this week. I don't see that as attraction. I see that as a, a texture of the, the, the historic blackness of the church. But then this missional thing comes along and it's like, well, how do we marry these worlds? But I think that's the work that we're kind of carrying out right now, that we can gather, we can 
we can organize, we can have structure, it can have a little candy on it. But then Fitch is helping <laughs> us, how do we get into the world? How do we get out? And I don't even know if we have anything to say about that because we're actually living it out, like literally in real time. But I do dude, know. Dude, I just want to tell you, like, um, all right, so uh, earlier we were talking about how Peace of Christ and Renew Church and came together, and now one thing kind of fell to the wayside. So I'm, I'm now settling in, okay, and I'm sitting in the back row, and I'm going, <laughs> I'm just going to chill out. I, I, I got, like, five more years till retirement. I, I, I'm just going to relax. Oh, this is going to be so good. Get some good music, get some preaching, but then go home. And, and all of a sudden I heard you say some stuff, and I go, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> We're going to be a presence-based church. Whoa. Where? I never thought. He starts saying stuff like, tables. We're going to have tables. In the, whoa. Where did that come from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was so, so shocked. And, and I don't know. I told you about, I don't know, two or three months in, that you, you kind of got ran, my wife, singing in this and <laughs> being a greeter in this. And there's no way I was going to get out of this church now. And, and, uh, and, but, but I go, whoa, yeah. I had, I got to tell you, I had no idea. I know you talked a good game. I had no idea you were that committed to this dude. That came from I had your leadership. no idea. So I would tell Fitch, hey, man, you're really helping me with this. I think I get it. No, where did you learn that from? I'm, like, <laughs> I'm in your class sitting with you. But here's what I've learned about. I was so confused. Oh, I got to tell you. Here's what I've learned, though. And I was able to trace back. When we're talking about um, a presence-based ecclesiology, when I look back on my roots, the black church had a very, very incarnational yes. presence. yes in the civil rights movement, yes. in the neighborhoods, the gathering of Martin Luther King here on the west side of Chicago and, and other parts of Chicago, where there would be a gathering of incarnational, like here, go out, be a monk, go out. We, you and I talked this week about benediction, right? Like, we're gonna talk about civil rights, we're gonna talk about injustices, now go out and live. Go be, and that's what the black church has been historically. Yes. So Fitch, when, when I'm listening to uh, your talks about presence base and, and faithful presence was a game changer for me. I'm thinking like the black church has, has lived this. Yes. Here, here's where I've seen, not, not, the, not the entirety of the black church. I can't speak this for the entirety of the black church. But someone like me left that reality because of, like Jennings talks about white glorified bodies. Mm -hmm. That is what real ecclesiology should be. Oh, get up on the stage. And, and what I think, and what I'm trying to tie in here is, I think I was attracted to the, this, this, this worldly power. I'm not calling white people just worldly power, but I'm saying, get up there, do this. Look, yeah. we, got, we got money, we got lights, we got stages, we got like pensions, we got insurance, we got it all for you. So someone like me says, well, that's the way of the kingdom. But now circling back, I think your leadership has helped me understand, wait, 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 wait. No, we've always had this, but we, 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 bit, the, we bit the apple. Well, you, you know, um, I got like five or six examples in this epilogue, but, and I don't have much time to go into it, unfortunately, because I was running out of space in that book. But uh, You had more to write? Charles Marsh. <laughs> beloved community and, and some other scholars on the black civil rights movement. Yeah. Uh, James Hardy, others. Uh, um, uh, Vincent, Vincent Hardy. Vincent Hardy. 
You know who I'm talking about? The Mennonite uh, wrote the speech for Vietnam speech for MLK. Did I get that name right? This is what happens when you get old folks. But anyways, you, yeah, we'll you know who I'm talking about. But the point is, uh, these guys wrote, and uh, you know those. So I always thought the Woolworth table fellowships that broke up Jim Crow in the South and Mississippi, etc. I just thought, oh, they're just going there, yeah, uh, eating and messing with people. Actually, no. That those people were going. They were part of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Right. There was prayer meetings behind those people. There was actually white and black people together that were disrupting. Not not always at the Woolworth tables. But there was like it started out with three table fellowships at the Woolworth, hmm. and then it grew to like, I think fifty one. Disrupted the crap out of Jim Crow South. Hmm. That was John Lewis, uh, seminary grad, pastor, leader. Who, and, and there were two or three others. And, and I think about that. And, and I don't think we give it credit enough because later on the civil rights movement kind of migrated towards we're going to get things done through legislation, mm-hmm. not through table movements in the neighborhood. But that's, a, that's, a, that's an example hmm. of a table. And that's black church doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I, yeah, so, so over the years at Northern Seminary, I've had many black students say, Fitch, we've been doing this. You've been doing that. Yeah. We've been doing this all along. What are you? What are you talking about? Uh, I'm going. Okay, I'm embarrassed because us white people, we haven't been doing it at all <laughs> since like 200 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> like when you talk about sharing a meal. Yeah. I mean, you know, th- there's like law in in black black homes. Come over to grandma's house every Monday night, and you better be there. Yeah. You know, on Sundays, and I do this to this day. On Sundays, my grandfather would grab a few people. Hey, we're going to eat. We're going to eat, and we would sit at tables and just talk and discern. Yeah, and so we didn't have the same language for it, but obviously this was a part of the the the, the black ecclesiology, even in the civil rights movement. Well, of course, we're not talking about anything new. This, this has been the practice of the church for centuries. When it, when it was when it was, you, you know, when the church gets powerful, uh, Anabaptist types like me say when Constantine got in power and church became sponsored Roman faith. Okay, we brought all the priests from the from the streets, mm-hmm. and we and we started eating the meal for uh, ten minutes around the Eucharist on Sunday morning. And that was it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so everything was brought into the church. But you know, Acts chapter two, forty two to forty six, they they went to the temple, they ate together from house to house, and they were with all the people. I mean, there were the 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 this was practice. This was church. This was ecclesiology one hundred and one for the first church and it's always been around it's always been around even when the church kind of migrated to this highly programmed uh, seven sacraments get it all done an hour and a half on sunday morning at the temple at the at the cathedral in in medieval europe still they were it was still there and and i'm, I'm just saying this isn't anything new nothing new so i, I, I want to end with this question and <clears throat> so we're living this out this multi-ethnic reality and, and I think a lot of people who watch our podcast, they're church planners, they're in the multi-ethnic, they really see imagination for this. In terms of power, what, what can we look forward to? What are going to be some of the issues that we're going to have to overcome? Maybe use our church as an example. Here in Westmont, in the west suburb of Chicago, as we're continuing to lean into this plant, become more presence-based, what, what problems are we going to have to overcome together? What problems, eh? Wow. What problems? Well, I don't know. Uh, something that kind of blows me away about you, like 
Okay, so I'm going to pump you up a little bit. <laughs> Extremely. No, well, I just want people to <laughs> understand this. A very, very, very talented oh, preacher, leader, and musician. Okay. Uh, you could have yourself a mega church if you wanted, <laughs> really quickly. You could be making the big bucks. I'll take a few more bucks. <laughs> <laughs> No, Jesus you, is Lord. He's always providing. Always. But uh, uh, you are you 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 are a humble leader, and you invite people to come into leadership with you. And you, mm-hmm. you know, something I appreciate. You, you just you just deflect. You deflect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, uh, Renew Church loves you, but you deflect. Mm-hmm. And you well. Well, anyways, we need leaders that work together in mutuality mm-hmm. to show people everybody here is called to use their gift and to be sensitive discern the spirit wherever you're at i remember you and i were once uh in new york we were doing some kind of a promo for northern seminary mm-hmm. and uh we're sitting wait i don't even know if i'm allowed to say this but we were sitting at a bar oh yes is that all right yeah we we're sitting there by us well, well good folks night. if uh my christian <laughs> mr Irons people are mad at me right now he was the one drinking i had a coke okay <laughs> but but anyways we're sitting for there the record and we're seeing we're seeing people in that yeah bar. yeah 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 i remember that and we're seeing that one dude over there and i've become so sensitized now that God's working here in this moment, and if we just could come back two or three more times, that guy is being drawn to Christ, mm. reconciliation, and all things in his life and in this bar. And if we could just and and I just feel like um, we need to teach people that mm. that church isn't just what happens on Sunday morning, but wherever we're at. God's at work. The Holy Spirit is at work. Can we discern? Can we be sensitive? Can we pray what I call, what the priest at, in the Catholic Church calls the epiclesis? Lord, be present in this place. Help me to recognize your presence at work in this place. Help me to cooperate, submit to your presence in this place. And, you know, I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, but, but that's, that's a mindset for most Christians in the United States and America. Most most Christians go to church on Sunday, feel encouraged, get mm-hmm. a few words, walk out and go, okay, now I got to stiffen up and I got to try, try to make it through the next five days. Right. Uh, I got to fight the devil. And, mm-hmm. and, and they don't realize God's at work in, in all these relational, uh, godly power ways that mm-hmm. he wants to disrupt the world. <clears throat> that's, that, that's what happens in the first church. <clears throat> that's what, he, what God wants to do in this church. That's so good. As a matter of fact, I, you showed me in that bar, you were saying, look around, there's a Eucharist happening, right? <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but people at tables, and they were just, they were just over a meal or over a drink, whatever the longing case may be. Longing to be known, longing yeah, yeah, to yeah. know, longing to be loved. Yeah. Longing for depth uh, of meaning and purpose in their life and what God's doing. They're just longing for it. Yeah, I love that. So I want to end with this because I believe one of the things I've really been trying to contend for is that we cannot engage racial justice, you know, in a homogenous effort. And leaders like you and I, I think it, it, it must be, I think it must be these kind of pairings and groupings and fellowships and community, um, like-minded, different, different nationalities or cultures or ethnicities. Um, how does one enter into that space? Because I get this question a lot. Like, I, I don't know any, you know, 
black people. I don't want any white people. I want to do this. Is is presence based going to the bar, going to the restaurant? Do you think that's a place where such leaders that are watching can begin to develop those? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, we just have to get out. Uh, and we got to uh, get out. Right. Yeah. And uh, you know, um, so I, I go to this bar over here. Uh, I don't want to put it. I don't want to name it right now because yeah, I don't want because I don't want everybody going there. Frankly, uh, <laughs> any brothers over we, there? We get we get not very many. Not many. A few. <laughs> uh, but but it's a lot of struggling mm-hmm, people, mm-hmm. struggling people. You know, bars are. I won't go on a speech about yeah. that. But you know, you, you, uh, Renew was at the uh, basketball uh, clinic yeah. uh, yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna. Th- there's there's a uh, place about two blocks from my house, right here, from, not too far from where we are sitting, where uh, for some reason all the black brothers and Latino brothers go play basketball. Right in our neighborhood here. Right up yep. the street. Yep. It's and and by the way, I've, I've stopped. I don't know. Remember a couple of years ago, we had like a foot of snow. It was shoveled. Yeah. Okay. They sh- in Canada we shovel the rinks. Here they shovel the basketball courts. Yeah. yeah. Okay? All day. All day. <laughs> and and they were playing there. And so, anyways, I, I'm not I'm not the guy to go there, unfortunately, because. Uh, one time I played basketball and I just checked people out from underneath uh, the basketball <laughs> thing. It's not hockey, I, 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 I don't. I don't know basketball, but but there are. I think there are hmm. non. I think there might be a few. Well, at the very least, Latin and black persons together. Hmm. But we need some white. Pe- but those you just go there and start playing basketball, or or like Church did, go to that clinic, yeah. the Park District, become a coach. Uh, there's so many places to get yeah. involved. Yeah. You know. Um, I, I I can't I can't I can't broadcast the story I heard about a black family up here that Rayan told me about struggling uh, here at the freshman class at at Westmont High School. Uh, but there's just there's just so many and it doesn't take much. I would say if you can find a place to go, three hours a week. That's all. Mm-hmm. Instead of going to another program at your local church, mm-hmm. find a place to go three hours a week. Get involved. Use your gifts. Be with people. Could be a clothing swap. Mm-hmm. Could be a bar. Could be a, a park district uh, program teaching basketball. Could be uh, the homeless shelter. Could be there's an Alcoholics Anonymous group that meets here. There's a, <clears throat> there's three hours a week where everybody comes, not just those signing up for AA, mm-hmm. but anybody comes to support and care for one another. Find places to be with the hurting three hours a week. Open space for God to work. People will get saved. Racism will get disrupted. Be Serve on the town ordinance committee. Mm-hmm. Talk about where racism is. Tons of stories about racism manifest itself there. You can get plugged into the police. You go through a, what do you call it, an intro session. Mm-hmm. You have to go six sessions. And then you can ride with police and support them and, 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 and basically be there to be their eyes to help them see what they don't see. There's so many ways to get involved in the community to intersect with people who are not like you, who don't look like you. That's good. And, and God can work through this. And I have always emphasize go in twos. Go at least in twos, if not threes. But I don't want to go to my bar where there's 20 or 30 struggling souls and half the church show up. <laughs> then it, then it's game over. Then then it becomes a worldly power play, right? I have to be there as a guest and listen. Anyways, that's that's uh, I guess Ooh, my short form. That's good, man. I think that's our. I, th- I know that's my word to get out and among, 
And I want to encourage everybody to do so because that's how we can begin to disrupt the racisms and the antagonisms in our communities. Hey, we got to get out of here, man. This is good. Yo, give it up for Dave Fitch. <laughs> Dave, thanks for hanging, man. Like My pleasure, really. Had a real. good time. For yeah. real. Thanks for hanging. And we're going to keep it moving. Gospel and Race podcast. Um, please stay tuned. And I can't wait to see you on the next one. Garrett, we done, man. Appreciate y'all. Peace. Mm-hmm.